This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by the upcoming Infinite Universe, available for the first time at FanQuest 2018. Hopefully. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm here with many special guests today, um, who I'm going to ask now, in a slight breach of protocol, to introduce themselves. My name is Stephen Call. I'm a uh, local Winnipeg artist, and uh, I'm working on a comic with uh, one of your other guests. Dun, dun, dun. Who is? And I'm the other guest. My name is uh, Lyndon Rachenka, and I'm an aspiring comic book writer from Winnipeg currently uh, in Calgary for school. We're going to do our best to wash that filthy phrase aspiring out of your mouth today. <laughs> okay. All right. We can Gone. do that. Gone. It's not, you're not done until you're done. You haven't Podcast made it until you made soap. it. Yeah. And I'm uh, Justin Curry. I'm a Winnipeg artist um, and, and I make comics occasionally and uh, I go by the handle Chasing Artwork. And he puts up with me most days. Hmm. Except when he doesn't. So you guys, the, what, dear listeners, you don't know is that these two gentlemen are at the beginning of the journey. I often say that everyone should join the fight and make comics. And these guys are doing it now. They're doing it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing? Uh, it's terrifying. We're, we're doing a comic. Uh, and it is, yeah, like he said, it is, is, is terrifying, but not, not in a bad way. It's just learning new stuff every day. Um, but doing something you love and well uh you know we're doing a science fiction comic so we get a lot of uh leeway to have fun with that so dun, in dun, space dun. what in are we space. doing Linda? in space okay so let me go back to the beginning who yeah. asked who out to comics he did <laughs> no i was out that you did no i i actually remember the moment where we 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 joked about doing a comic for for, for the first time it was kind of awesome um, that's true i mean there there was a moment many moments when we worked together we used to work together at the keg we were we were bartenders together yeah and uh and then one day we decided that we're going to go to san diego comic-con and we're and i think we said this probably 15 times while we were down there walking around the convention um do you ever watch how i met your mother i am aware of it okay, there's a scene in how i met your mother where um uh ted and barney decide that they want to start a bar. And there's this line that they do where they flip the, the, this board game that they're playing. They go, we should start a bar. We should buy a bar. Of course we should buy a bar. We should totally buy a bar. We should totally buy a bar. Our bar would be awesome. And dude, 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 dude. The name of our bar, Puzzles. People will be like, why is it called Puzzles? That's the puzzle. A great name for a bar. We should then, totally start a bar. Yeah, and then so we said that all the time. We'd see we'd see comics, we'd see indie comics, new comics, and we'd be like, we should write a comic. We should we write should a comic. We should and totally then, write a comic. Yeah, and then after Comic Con, we uh, we didn't do anything. <laughs> you didn't do anything. So what no, you're saying is you comics nothing. flirted for a little while. Oh yeah. All right. So which one of you asked the other one to go comic study? Comic, I would that comic study. Steve. That that would be you, Steve. Because 
I did my first year of school out here and I was like, yeah, I'm not, not doing anything this summer. Like, and you're like, we should, we should write a comic. Oh yeah. Yeah. We yeah, should be- totally write a comic. We should I, actually I, do it this time. Yeah. Because I, I was at a point where I was, um, I like to say I never have much doubt with what I'm doing in life, but, um, career was, was a weird thing. I wanted to be an artist, but I had this whole, I need to make money right away. I need to make money right away. I need to make money right away. So I would flirt with different ideals. There was a point where I might've actually been in an engineering program right now Mm. instead of doing comics. And then for like a week at work, I, while I was still doing this engineering course prep, I started like having mini breakdowns at work. And I'm like, this is going to be three years of just studying and no art. And I decided that I couldn't do it. And then he told me about your course. We did the course. And then I said, I have an idea. And then we drove to Galaxy Comics and wrote the book on the way to Galaxy Comics. Yeah, well, we have, I have a very vivid memory of this. We went on a giant cruise because it was the middle of May. And it was, it was literally, it was because I follow U.S. politics a little bit. It was the day that uh, the U.S. president had fired the then FBI director. But that was kind of how I remember this conversation going around this. <laughs> and, and Steve had this big, um, this big idea. And we're like, okay, this is, this is huge. We have to actually like, figure out what the story is here. <laughs> but we went on this, this huge drive around, uh, around Winnipeg just coming up with crazy plot ideas. And we were like, we'll figure it out from here. But we have an idea. We're on the same page. We know where the story wants to go. Let's, uh, let's, let's make something here. And that's usually how things start. You figure out like the one big puzzle piece. Like at some point, that building is going to like fall on this guy and that's going to happen. Like we know that, but what happens leading up to that and after that? No idea, but we'll figure it out. But How do we get there and yeah. how, why does it make sense? Yeah, the, so, the smaller details. So let me ask you the question then that I think makes most people stop when they're making whatever they're wanting to make. When they don't know how to get there or what happens after, they usually quit. Like they come up with a good idea and then they say, oh, but I don't know how it fits into anything. Then they stop. You guys didn't stop. You kept driving. Yeah, we, we, by the end of the night, we had an old serving notepad with all of our main story beats written down on it because... I have those. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I think I have photos on my phone or something. Like yeah, that. no, I still have them here. Okay, so I know this is a podcast, but now you have to have some visual representation, dear listeners. So we're sitting in the studio. We have Lyndon in on Skype, so he held up the uh, notes the aforementioned apocryphal notes that started this all to the screen. Steven's reaction to it was very much like my reaction to Justin pulling out this crumpled piece of paper that was the beginning of Cassian Tonk. I pointed over to the studio wall where he has that stained, horrible drawing <laughs> framed yeah. on the wall. And uh, it just means that we're all the same, gentlemen. <laughs> we're all the same. And that, and that I should hang on to those notes. That's right. Because one day they'll either be evidence, right? Of the start of something or evidence of a horrific murder ca- <laughs> catastrophe uh, in publishing. Either thing. You can't explode in the bomb bag because it's foolish. You'll kill us all. There's no reason for it. So you started <laughs> writing it down on a little scrap of paper. Yep. Literally at a bar. Yeah, we were yeah. sitting at a bar. Well, yeah, we ended at up our former our, bar. Yeah, we ended up going to our old job to hang out with people because he was in town. Yeah. And. And then that's where we, we wrote everything down. Um, but yeah, it, it was just interesting, like the whole drive, because it, it started off with like the idea of this 
this dude who runs a coffee shop on a battlefield and never actually pays attention to the battlefield because he's so enthralled with telling his own stories. And then everything is happening behind him. So the main story of the book is actually happening behind him. And it got like confusing. That's interesting. To ex- I like that. Yeah, yeah. it kind of got confusing to explain. And then we started just telling the story of what was happening in the background. And then it found itself in space. And it was, and then we just built characters off of it and, and became a whole different thing. But then it got too big. And we're like, we can't, <laughs> we can't tell this giant story yet. We need to pare this down a little bit. Yeah. So how did you know? That's an instinct. I think that's an important instinct we've talked about before. How did you know it was too big? You told me. <laughs> uh, okay, that wasn't the answer I was searching for. But I suppose mentorship could be a reason to find out that something needs work. Well, when, when, you, when he told me that, because like, he basically he went to see you to, to get tips or uh, whatever. We, we were just hanging out. Yeah, and then, um, and then he told me that, and I was like, and we realized that made a lot of sense. So we're like, well, how do we cut this apart? And so then we, we took this story we have and we broke it down into three main parts. And then we broke that first part into three parts. And, um, and then our, our first book is essentially going to be those first three parts um, all, all kind of in one. And I think the hard part was, especially for him, this was mostly on, on, on Lyndon, was taking – it's, it's it's, it's vague if no one's read the book, uh, but taking those parts and actually making a beginning, middle, and end um, out of the beginning, the middle, and the end of a book. And I kept comparing it to like Star Wars or something like that where, um, you know, the ending of A New Hope, it, it, you know, they destroy the Death Star, but like, you know, there's way more coming after that. Right. So, um, granted, this doesn't lead up, like this book, you'll finish it and you'll go, there could be more after this. And if we get the chance to, there will be more after it. So yeah, just to contextualize what you said, cause that was a little bit of, that was a little convoluted oh, is I'm we're, sorry, boss. <laughs> what, we're, what we're looking at right now is a 64 page book that is structurally three separate issues can be, it's three separate acts essentially. And um, if the opportunity arises, there's, we've left enough open at the end of it to make, more story but at the same time it can stand by itself as a book that's what i was saying yeah yeah, yeah. i think you both <laughs> said it the same way can i ask a question that may end the friendship forever do it yeah yeah okay will you both be credited in the book as a writer uh no no um i was actually th- we haven't actually talked about that um i was right now the credits you're hearing are, it here folks right First, now the credits folks. are linden is uh uh, writer and letterer. I am art, so like pencils, colors, inks. Um, I've actually been cons- thinking about like, well, what about story? Because we kind of came up with a story ourselves. So we haven't really talked about that, but I think if we include a story by credit, kind of like how like Rogue One is, the, the story is credited to John Knoll and Gary Whitta, but there's another credit for like the guy who wrote the script. Right. Um, so if we add a story by credit, I, I, I would hope we both get put in there. Yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think when we've discussed creator rights, we're splitting those down the middle. And I think it only makes sense for us to do story two, because you're the person that I go to when I go, Oh, Steve, I have an idea for the story. And you either go, Oh yeah, that's really cool. Or no, that's really stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, in that way, you're, 
you've helped make the story just as much as I have. So yeah. we both we both get that. I'm just That's the true. one that figures out what exact words are coming out of everyone's mouths. Justin, mm-hmm. won't it be cool in 10 years from now when our podcast is used in the legal battle between yeah, these yeah. two <laughs> as precedent no, for No, no, no. We, we have a contract. It's not signed yet, but we have uh, the contract <laughs> set out. not signed yet. But you did write it out. <laughs> we do have it written out. Okay. Because that was going to be my next question is, did you put all this stuff in writing? There is writing. Yeah. There is writing. There's lots of conversations, and I know that's not admissible in court. Um, but we, we've had a, a long discussion about what it's going to be. And uh, I, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Justin, we get along pretty good, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah not bad. Not, not bad. bad. Not bad. Not bad. Um, <laughs> do we have all of our book stuff? Whenever we start a book, do we put that in writing first? From yeah, day one, we uh, we've been pretty good about the having the contract. Um, I don't always keep them like as easily accessible as I should. I usually have to track them down at some point or another. But even now, with uh, Cassie and Tonk, which was signed in like 2014. Um, we're bringing it up this week because some things are happening with that project being reprinted and going on to other things that we're going to need to revisit that contract. So, And at the time, I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll sign this, but we'll probably never look at it again. But here we are looking at it again. Here we are looking at it again. And what's interesting, gentlemen, that maybe you guys don't know is um, the contract is really useful later, not just because it keeps you guys on the straight and narrow with each other, but um, it establishes something in the development world called clear chain of title right so from the very beginning you guys set out who owns what that's been in agreement it's been written down so that if a uh, larger media firm which is sort of like the the thing that's going on with justin and i comes and says you know who owns it Mm -hmm. you can say we both do and they'll say well prove it and you'll say no problem and they'll say how long ago how old is this agreement Mm-hmm. Right? Will there be a period of years where there was a dispute that we don't know about before you finally got this contract? And you can say no, right? And provide mm-hmm. them with all that documentation. That's not necessary for you guys to be good creative partners, but it's good in the long run for establishing uh, a lot of other sort of, you know, when people talk about how do you monetize comics, a, a good way to start is have a clear chain of title. It's an important part of the foundation. Yeah. yeah even if you never look at it again. Important part to have there. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those things. We're going to get it signed, I think, when I'm back in Winnipeg next, which is towards the end of February. So we'll get together and we'll make sure everything reads fine and we'll each walk out with a copy and we'll I, hopefully be okay. Yeah, no, it'll be good. And it'll also, it'll help you later if you're not sure how to feel about each other. Like if something happens, <laughs> like, you know, if Steven steals Linda's uh, girlfriend or something, then uh, you'll... I need another th- one of those. So. Yeah, so you'll have... Uh, <laughs> two, two is good. No. You'll have a capacity. <laughs> a contract, the purpose of a contract is to plan ahead for what you hope will be an imaginary breakup. Yeah. Right? It makes yeah, sense. It's a prenup. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is. It's a prenup. A yeah. Agreement. <laughs> if we're extending the metaphor as comics as a uh, romantic relationship here, then yes, it's the prenuptial agreement. For what to do with the kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> Got nowhere else to go. The ex-wife took the whole damn planet in the divorce. All I got left is my bones. Yeah, we're still pretty early. We just, we finished our our scripts probably about two weeks ago, where we finally got the whole thing ironed out, and Steve's been making pages for you know, a couple months now, as we've been editing our way through and cutting things down. So it's nice and early. What's that process look like for you two? Which part? Which part? Well, start at the beginning. You've got those little scribbly, awful notes that you waved yep. at us, yep. covered in beer stains. How do you take that and turn things. it into a script? 
Uh, that, well, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, my undergrad at U of M was in English and I did a minor in theater. So a couple of different projects I did at that time was writing plays. So I am, um, there's a lot that's very similar in writing plays and writing comics because it's a lot of dialogue and very few, at least in the scripts that I provide Steve, there's very few uh, blocking notes. I kind of let Steve figure out how composition on the page is going to look best and we kind of play loose and fast with panel counts. If, if I have, you know, seven panels or six panels, Steve goes, this is, it will look better with, you know, five panels or eight panels or in one case, nine panels. I go, that's, that's fine. I'll make the script work with that. Um, but in terms of doing the writing down, I start just with dialogue. I'll figure out what everyone is saying to one another because that kind of establishes story beats. And then I'll go in and I'll block out specific panels after that fitting the dialogue in whatever feels most natural and then from there uh we'll, we'll say i i take his script and i'll i'll, I'll look it down I'll, I'll read the uh the page that i'm working on and i'll visualize it in my head i'll be like so how, how does this look um in their conversation so you have it laid out like different panels um and then like he said i'll i'll i'll, I'll like i basically try to do it in the way he's laid it out uh, on the page, but then if it doesn't really pan out in my head like that, I'll I'll adjust and like I think the one I'm going to be doing next, I think he has on the script, and we haven't we haven't talked about this yet, and that's something I'll get to. I I have a I have an issue of, uh, of with myself of, of just barreling forward without actually considering and and discussing the changes I want to make. So. Uh, that's going to be a change that I make now is actually thumbnailing it out and having him uh, take a look at it first. How, let me interrupt briefly. Yeah. How many comic pages have you made? 12? Ten, uh, 12. Ten? Like 10? 10 or 12. Ten? No. Had yeah. you done previous comic pages before that? In the first grade. In the first grade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, I don't know what the count is, but it's like somewhere in the thousands mark for myself. Mm. And I can tell you that I still struggle every page with what you just said like talking to your writer about the change yeah like if i'm working with a writer that and i suddenly have an inspiration to create the page in a slightly different way i'm so fired up and i just start and i go and then i'm like oh i have like a little bit of guilt i'm like oh no it's not my place <laughs> to do this i have to quickly get in touch with them but sometimes it's three or four pages later because yeah. i'm so fired up that i finally get in touch and be like so you know you had this part in the script yeah it's not there anymore <laughs> We uh, just on like the l two podcasts ago, we were talking with um, another comic book illustrator, and we were talking about working with um, writers. How one of our favorite parts is when the artwork does the job of what the dialogue was supposed to do. Like if there's a panel where the guy is supposed to like say something that's like shock and awe, but you draw him in such a way that you don't need that dialogue anymore and that's like one of our favorite things because we've done yeah, that was such a Danny's good job well. visually that the writing you don't need that piece of text on there anymore because it's just yeah you don't need it and we, we've done a few yeah. things like that where like like with the last page uh, obviously this is one of the examples that like I made a change and I told him about it later um, where the way this thing was supposed to play out um, well We'll you can give spoilers. You can take details. <laughs> it, basically, the characters are climbing down this rock face, and the way I wanted to lay it out was the the rock face is almost as if it's a full page splash, 
but then I've laid five panels over it and you yeah. see the characters go from top to bottom and you get closer and closer. So you get repeat characters every now and again. Um, and there's this scene where one of the characters who's having trouble getting down the mountain, he's not the most um, agile of the team. Yeah. Uh, and he trips and hits the bottom of the hill. And I didn't really know how to put that out. And then I'm like, oh, I could have an, I didn't know how to initiate that action happening with the layout I had. And then I realized, oh, I could add a character. All she has to say is, dude, look out, watch out for that rock or something like that. So I added her in, he went and lettered the, the page. And then I'm like, oh, I didn't tell him about that bubble I needed. <laughs> uh, and then now it's there. Uh, and, and actually yeah. very creatively so, he, he brought it on the panel where he trips, but it still is indicative it still indicates that she's saying it. it's an off-panel bubble yeah. so it, it could yeah. the, the panel t or the bubble tail hits the border and kind of cuts off but it's still pointing in her general direction so that you can tell it's her that's that's saying it and it's just a really loud lookout and that's so, that's the whole thing so who's doing like you're doing lettering are you also doing the 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 layout or are you doing layout layout like once a panel's done who's taking that into like indesign and like Placing it on the page. Oh. I can do. I, I we haven't done that yet, but okay. I can do that. Gotcha. But hold on. I think okay. you're talking about. See, because you work differently. Because you work in Illustrator, and then take those finished Illustrator files and link them in to do a page layout. You're working more traditionally, though. I, I, I'm all in Photoshop. You're all in Photoshop. Yeah. Do you have a, um, a 12 by 18 page or an 11 by 17, 11 by 17. page? Yeah. Uh, and then you just build that page. Yeah. I build, yeah okay. I build that page, and then when I when I'm like planning the page, like I, I make sure I'm considering where bubbles might go, and, yeah. and there's there's space on the page where, where he might be able to put a bubble without it obstructing the, uh, the characters. Or right. Like yeah. so, so then I get the the file and I pop it into Illustrator and I you know have a, the same size page with some some guidelines so that I can keep an eye out for trimming and I go in and I insert all those word bubbles. Gotcha. And I send them back to him, and then when we need to, I, I have InDesign, and I can, I have a basic understanding of how I can put it all together so that we can send it off if we need to. And we haven't had to do this yet, but if if he goes, there there's a problem. No, no, we do, and I still haven't done it. We've talked about it a whole bunch. Um, if there's a a change in the artwork that needs to be had, like there's this panel on page four, just a single panel on a full page bleed that is it, the dialogue is going to work better if it's mirrored right and i still haven't done it yet <laughs> but so if if i need to change something he'll let me know and, and we'll do that so one thing that i figured out recently that works uh for me so you're working in photoshop mm -hmm. you can link those photoshop documents to your indesign document okay right so that you can lay out the whole book in indesign with linked photoshop documents okay right so that when you open the indesign it just shows you all of your finished Photoshop pages where they're supposed to go. Oh, right? so i got to get InDesign and, and, and do that. In InDesign, <laughs> then I take the script that I've been given yeah. and I block out all the dialogue into the InDesign document. Okay. So that as I'm working, I can check back and say, have I left enough room for the number of words that are required in this scene? Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. And it just gives you a little bit, you know, like um, it also, I found, gives you a good leg up on the conversation of, hey, I don't think we need this line of dialogue or this bit of exposition. Mm -hmm. I think I got it covered. And then you can give a heads up before you're totally finished your illustration mm -hmm. to say, you know, here it is in rough. You can send it out, you know, with a partial illustration and 
half-assed dialogue smashed on top. Mm -hmm. And then the writer can take a look at it and say, yeah, you know what? You're right. Let's take that right out. Here's some more room for your art. That'd be great. Okay. Right? I mean, that's, that, that's one of the other benefits of doing the lettering is that I can make those changes as we're going. Oh, yeah, there's, for sure. There's lines of dialogue that just don't have to go in. It's not like I'm sending it off to a, a separate letterer who just has to abide by the script. Yeah. Do you guys read any Ed Bryson stuff? I don't know who that is. Okay, well, you guys should both look up Ed Bryson, but he also is a letterer. I think one of the reasons why he's a great comic writer is that he also is a comic letterer. Okay. And so that, he thinks in terms of page placement. And, yeah, yeah, totally. Like, And I think um, his pages, in his own writing, he's got great moments of silence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's from him figuring out, like, we don't need words here at all, mm. you know, is part of his other job. So he, he's kind of doing the last part of his job first yeah. before it goes to the middle part. Yeah, like I don't know Ed personally, but uh, I plan to track him down for this podcast and ask <laughs> him that exact question. How did you know what I was going to say? How did you put this in a comic book? Gentlemen, what yeah. have you learned that you didn't know you would learn? Oh, God, God, this one's good. Um, <laughs> so going into making comics, um, everybody, I, I heard about like, like, self-doubt and and imposter syndrome and like and like just hating your own work and and like feeling like you're not doing a good job and my first thought going into this was like that's not gonna i'm not i'm not gonna have that like i was cruising right away i'm like oh this art looks great and then as i started going and going i was like oh this doesn't look good anymore oh there's no way i can finish this tonight <laughs> and, and like just getting in my own way like that that is like a huge thing you don't realize is going to happen to you even though you're confident it won't, it still hits you. And it's just something that you, that I've learned, I guess, how to deal with. And it's just like, like I was saying earlier, like, like just chill out and just, just, just do it. But yeah, I learned that that's almost intrinsic in, in, the, in the process is to, to feel like you, you can't actually do it, but then you actually just do it because you get your head around that. But do you have yeah. a plan for it now that you know it exists? No, I just, I wouldn't say I ignore it. I just, I just go with it. Um, like a, a big thing that helps me is when I'm doing something, say I'm like designing like a piece of tech or something like that. Um, and I'll be like, well, this doesn't make sense. Or like, why am I putting this here? Or, or this line doesn't make sense here. I think I'm like, well, Jack Kirby did like three pages like this a day and you look at his art and it looks purposeful and I don't know if it was all purposeful, but he'll go and there's just be random lines everywhere and I'll be like, oh, well, he got away with it, so <laughs> I can get away with it too. <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to Jack Kirby, but maybe, maybe I am. <laughs> well, I, I used to be in, a, in band in middle school and my band teacher always used to say, you make, you make a mistake, no one's going to notice. It all just sounds like music to everyone else. Yeah, only so the, the only same the idea. musicians can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And to, to go kind of to, to bookend what Steve was saying, but in the other direction, um, I didn't realize when we were starting out on this project just how, like, how it would feel to see all of it actually happening. So like there was, there was a day when we first were really starting this, probably in the middle of the summer, where Steve sent me a couple screenshots of just pencils of the first couple of pages of the script that I had written. And I'm like, holy crap, this is like something that was in my head. And now it's on paper. Like this is, this is real. It's amazing. And, uh, feeling. Yeah. 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 It's feeling. This, something you imagined you're holding in your hands now. Yeah. yeah. Right. So just on the other side, you never, you never really know what it's going to feel like to uh, see it become real until it's actually real. It's like magic. Well, 
you know, speaking of magic, okay, so I'm fascinated by magicians and like magician culture. And maybe you guys don't know this, but in a lot of magicians' acts, they start with close-up magic. They start with like um, card tricks and, you know, little, little red ball stuff. That's not for us. That's not for the non-magicians. Mm-hmm. That's for the magicians in the crowd. Oh, uh, look how good I am. No, oh. that's a, it's a statement. It's like a conversation with those magicians. Here's where I am. Here's where I am in my creative process. Here's how I know. Here's all the basics that I learned. So that those other magicians then know the language of the show, okay. right? Like really well thought out acts are that uh, way, okay. right? So that a magician in the crowd says, oh, well, they clearly studied this and this and this, and they know this. So they know how they, so the magicians in the crowd kind of know what angle yeah. to look at the show. And they also know what to forgive and what not to forgive. It's sort of like, uh, it's sort of like other people put their, uh, uh, you know, letters behind their name on their business card, mm-hmm. right? It's oh, like that, okay, right? Cool. So you know where you're from. That so I sense. say this. I'm, I'm coming back to your comics. I promise. You guys start with a great bit of close-up magic in your book, right? Yeah. You guys are doing the hard work. You know, anyone can make a giant contraption, right, to make you disappear, mm-hmm. right? But having the, um, having the practice to make a card disappear, and then mm-hmm. reappear, and no one knows how it happened, right? Yeah. That's. You know, it takes real skill. No engineering required. I think in comics, the same is true of the splash. The giant splash pages are like the giant machines. You can make a giant splash page look pretty good and interesting. Mm -hmm. But the real mechanics, the real cleverness in comics is lots of panels on a page that tell a story clearly. And you guys are only 12 pages in, but the vast majority of them are those. They're very concise storytelling where you know where the characters are, who they're talking to why they're talking to them there's there's acting going on like the characters faces are emotive like there's a lot happening in those in those books and i think you guys are doing the right thing so far well, steve they're saying nice things about our books <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. um we'll think of some bad things to say oh, I promise. Yeah. Well, i'm sure um while we're we're on the subject of the book so we have 12 pages we have a, a draft of a script what do we do now do we just keep making pages? Keep do making we, pages, yeah. Do I need to, do I need, do we, at what point do we look for like an editor? What time do we, when do we, like, what's the next step? Outside you should of see making our pages? previous podcast for that. We've answer. listened to it. I was telling Steve, we listened to it last weekend and then I had nightmares the following night. And I, I told Steve this about talking to a certain editor and being told that my writing was, was junk, but that's their job. Oh, that's in your future. <laughs> that's coming that's I, coming there's no I way to escape it in this job there's no way to escape it yeah. someone will tell you that your writing is junk yeah. and that your art is terrible yeah. and I that did, i did a fine arts degree at u of m I, I i i think i got told my art was junk like with every project all the time so i'm ready for it i don't know <laughs> well you you did writing in school like i you, did do writing yeah you, my, you know my profs like my writing though. yeah i love i love <laughs> constructive criticism though even if it's something i have to go dial back and and go from the beginning if someone wants to tell me like like i completely missed a step at some point and i love having that conversation and 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 fixing it because i know now an objective third party will say has has looked at it read it found a glaring problem and and i get to go fix it now i know that problem's not going to be there and like other experts won't look at it and go like well, it's still there. It's still there, you know? Constructive criticism is super useful. You'll get a lot of criticism, criticism, and you'll get a lot of praise, 
And mm. those two things are not very useful. So Tons here I'll give you I'll give you what I've figured out in the last little bit. And Justin can call bullshit if he thinks All right. that this is no good. That the way to deal with praise and criticism, criticism, is make books for 10 years and collect both. And when you get about equal parts of both of them, you know you're doing the right thing. That makes sense. Right? Because there will be always someone who tells you that their work is no, your work is no good. Mm-hmm. But that's out of context. Mm-hmm. You have to ask them what kind of work they like. Yeah. You know? And one of the things that I like the best at shows when someone, you know, I hand them a book and they look at it and they're like, oh, it's not for me. My follow-up question is, what do you like to read and what do you like to look at? Now, this is completely as a bandage for my ego. Because if they then name three or four things that are way outside the wheelhouse of what I'm aiming at, then their criticism is valid to them, but it Mm. it doesn't speak to the work. Mm. Comic-cons are almost a little self-serving too because 99% of that crowd is excited about what you've done and and like excited for you and going to tell you, I wish I could do what you're doing here. Yeah, that's true. It's a very very supportive community at those shows. Except when it isn't. Yeah. That doesn't happen too too often though does it well when it does it's more severe yeah like i once had a guy scream and yell at me at a show um based on the content of one of my books just because he didn't like your book yeah came up started yelling and pointing fingers and like really irate about the methods i used to make comics and the way i portrayed women in comics is he a self-proclaimed like comic uh genius well you see and it's it's to your credit that you immediately join my side and we want to like tear him down a little bit but the truth (laughs) is well i don't want to tear him down i want to to get context is like why why did he why did he think he had a grounds to 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 why is he better than you okay so here's my answer here's my answer to that he is entitled to his opinion because he was carrying a copy of the book which he clearly put his time into to read and his money into to buy and it was the first time where I had to look that truth in the face and realize that while I don't agree with his opinion, <laughs> he did all the steps that make him, frankly, entitled to have one. You know, yeah, spent an hour true. and a half reading it, yeah. right? Looked at it, thought about it, formulated his arguments, paid his money for it. That's true. Right? Had access to the source. That's what comic shows are supposed to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then gave me a piece of his mind. Yeah. But you have his money, so... <laughs> well, oh, I don't know if the joke would be, I would have paid him that in that moment. I would have given him his money back if he had just stopped yelling at me. Well, in that moment, was was any of it helpful? Um, did you take any of that? To did you question. change the way you portrayed women in comics? Well, his issue was that they were the main characters. Oh, oh my god, that was his main issue. There's oh. too much of that in comics. I agree. Oh. <laughs> so many women. You can uh, <laughs> respond to Justin's comment on uh, his Twitter. I would like to follow up by like all my current graphic novels have female leads. So okay. <laughs> we're, we were saying when uh, I first showed Gregory our our first couple pages, um, and we had we had our captain reveal on page three, and it's it's a woman, and that's a spoiler, but that's fine. Like that's I don't understand what the big deal is here. Yeah, it wasn't a big deal, but it was not the trope, you know. Like yeah, because exactly. it felt like hard science fiction, you expect yeah. the uh, stoic male captain with the chiseled jaw, mm-hmm. and instead I got someone that looked a little bit more like my grade six art teacher, yeah. and I thought that that was great. It was a nice, you know, it's a it's a harsh indictment of comics that 
a woman in a position of authority in a book mm-hmm. is a surprise. Yeah. Right? So that aside, yeah. it was a nice way to have her revealed too because we saw all of the we saw a bunch of the cast respond to her before we saw her. Yeah. I liked that well, part. Th- well, this was the this is a character that I, I've wanted to use. Like I didn't really know I wanted to use, but it's a character I've used often, um, specifically in the 2017 FanQuest poster. Um, there's like this, uh, uh, I did a poster of like this redheaded woman in a mech suit with a Marsh, green Martian on the back of the mech suit just tearing down. Um, hordes of aliens and that character was actually a rehash of something i did years ago which was a, a, a spray paint mural on cobra collectibles wall which was you did that yeah with the dinosaur and the oh. yeah and it's gone now yeah <laughs> but, no. um the end of an era yeah i was yeah. like i'm gonna use this person one day and uh and i am now so i'm very happy about that yeah. She's got some big story points coming up, too. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> Get away from her, you bitch! I have a question about pants in your story. Pants. 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 There seems to be a moment in the story where everyone changes clothes. <laughs> Steven is now laughing. <laughs> what? Um, I. Uh, that was... Okay, we don't talk about it. There's no dialogue about it. it I wanted to because I started drawing these um, episode one, season one, Star Trek, Captain Kirk looking outfits um, on the characters for the first few pages. Then they get down to this planet where they don't need any breathing apparatus. Like clearly, like they're, they're doing fine. But then I'm like, well, these just aren't badass enough. And at, at one point I started, uh, at one point there's a character, she's carrying this big, like, looks like a big ammo crate up the mountain and i'm like oh their their fighting suits uh, are in this box you didn't know this ahead of time no i didn't know this ahead (laughs) of time and and then i'm like okay well how do i like show them making the change so like each character in this scene as they're getting ready to there's this big double page spread where you see like where they're going to go as they're getting ready to go they're also physically getting ready so each character is in like a stage of undress like pulling on a boot or something like that and but uh, it also feels that moment also feels a little bit like an animatic because each character is in a different stage of undress yeah. so you see yeah. the process that they all had to take yeah one on each and I, I there was no real reason i just i basically got bored of drawing the clothes that they were already in and i didn't feel like they were um <clears throat> i think in terms of okay um this is Steve writing the story for the yeah, record. I, I think in terms of it, it, like people say, don't get ahead of yourself. Like, like chances are your first book's not going to be a movie. And I know that, but I always think of like, what if this was a movie? How would, how would they shoot this page? But as well as like in practical terms, like no one's going to watch the movie of this and like look at these suits and be like, Oh man, that's the coolest suit. Like, like the Martian with Matt Damon, like that's one of the coolest space suits like ever. And it's all practically built. I'm like, well, what if someone were to make a cosplay or someone were to make a movie out of my characters? What would the suit look like? And, and I'm like, and I haven't gotten to do a detailed shot of it yet, mm-hmm. but like, that's the start of, of what I really want. I think that's a really good to mindset to have. I think, yeah, the reason those those things eventually get made into movies is because they're well thought out. So I think 
just being in that mindset of I, I have to think all this stuff out is is a good mm-hmm. place to be. Um, I had a question for you guys. So yeah, the the comic in its current stage is is around twelve pages, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You're you're going for sixty four. Was that the, kind of the end goal for the first? We'd like to get done. Yeah. So what does that look like when you guys are done? Let's jump ahead. Sixty four pages are done. Yeah. You've uh, you've gotten a hold of a, a printer and you're going to print. What is that? What's the celebratory launch look like for you guys in your head? Because that was something yeah. I would often think about while What's making the deadline? my first. Where are you taking it? Yeah, where where's where's it end up at the end? Well, first move is we're using a deadline of uh, FanQuest 2018. We want to first start selling the book there. But I, I've wondered. And these were questions we wanted to kind of ask you guys. That's why you kind of said, what's next, I guess. But let's go even beyond that. With the first comic book, like, d- do you set up a book release? It's just a comic book, right? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're like, we're, we're, but we're guys who haven't, haven't done anything yet. Do we start hyping a book? We're yeah. like, why should people pay? Why should people care who we are still? We've got nothing to give to them. Okay, things I wished I'd known at the start there we go. include... Um, while I'm working on the first 64 pages, do you guys have a cover yet? Let me ask that. I was working on it last night. Yeah. Give a mock-up. Take your cover, cover, and you should start sharing it everywhere often now. So next we haven't even, finished. We haven't I even know, revealed. I know. That it's counterintuitive. You're like, well, I'm not finished. I can't. It feels like a lie. Like, I'm <laughs> announcing my book before We haven't even I told even anyone the title it. yet. Pardon me? We haven't even told, we haven't even announced the title yet. Right. Like, you, you guys seeing it in the the pages we sent you that's kind of the first time it's been on a page anywhere so appreciate how wonderful that feels Uh but also appreciate that if you spent the next few months telling everyone that it exists yeah they may show up at fanquest to get it Mm -hmm. whereas if you just show up at fanquest and say hey look at this cool book (laughs) you'll only get the people who are at in your immediate vicinity Okay. Right? Now, this is counterintuitive. I didn't do this mm-hmm. the first couple of projects I did. Like, mm-hmm. this is me looking back and saying, oh, if only I had known. Um, and you can do it in a... This doesn't have to be, like, in a super... Uh, I'm recoiling now. We know those <laughs> author Twitters that every second tweet is the cover of their book and a link to some information. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that. You guys are doing something incredible right now. You're making your first book. Share the entire process. Okay. Don't worry about spoilers. Don't worry about anything. Like share the entire process Mm -hmm. with everyone, with anyone who wants to see it. Right? Mm -hmm. And that is an ad for the book. Yeah. Because if they like what you guys are putting into it, they seem to like the story, they'll want to know. You know, mm-hmm. and people will come in at different stages. Mm-hmm. No one will follow it from page one to page 64 of your sharing. Mm-hmm. If you're sharing little tidbits, they'll just know that you've been working so hard on it that at the very least, they'll come up to you to see what it's about. Yeah. They might not like yeah. it. I can't, you, you know. Because I've done like three Instagram shares so far, I think, for the book. And like, like they're doing okay. And I think I'll keep doing that. Um, I mean, I don't share yeah. anything that isn't shared by you first. It's not, it's your, it's your art. You know when it's done. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's what, what? it's a slow build though. Like I, Greg's right. Like you have to kind of. I I like posting, Cassie and Tonk. I probably posted like six things throughout the the couple of months that I was doing it, like talking about the book, and I was super shocked at the amount of people who, when it was actually out, had been following along and knew about it. 
with Rust and Water, the next graphic novel, I did it quite a bit more. And again, I was shocked the amount of people who got hyped for when the book was out. They wanted it because I kept talking about it like every every now and then. So it's um, it's also the secret power of your. It's a creator owned book. Okay, yeah. so I'm working on three different graphic novels right now for publishers that I can't show the work. I'm not allowed to. Yeah. Right. The only work I'm allowed to show is the work that's my own. So the stuff I'm doing for Super Pulp Science, the little stories there, I can show that stuff. But you guys can do something that the big publishers can't. You can show every step of the way, right? You may not be big, but you're small. And that actually gives you a pivot that other people won't have. I'll start sharing more. <laughs> right? Yeah, and for, for all those other comic makers, Winnipeg comic artists that listen to this podcast because it's <laughs> such a good resource. If uh, they would like to see more of our comic and would like to talk to Steve or I about it, please, please hit us up online. Awesome. Yeah, with comments or criticisms or praise. Oh, we'll take <laughs> the criticism. We'll send you all the pages we've got. You can tell us exactly what you think. And then you can tell us if you still want to talk to us or not. <laughs> the other thing you guys can do as you're working on it, uh, which is something I've never done, but I've always wanted to do. So this is me giving you advice I've never followed now, uh, is sending those PDFs of the comics you're working on to your local comic stores early. Okay. Say, like, here's a book we're working on. You know, we're local. Here are the pages. You know, like comic book store owners are a good judge of what will move yeah. or not move in a store. And you'll get some really honest feedback there. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always wanted to do that, but I'm scared. You've never done that before? I've never done that. I've always wanted to do that. And I know that, um, uh, well, I guess suddenly the names escape. Sean Phillips and Ed Brubaker okay. uh, do that. I was at Atomic Comics one day in Phoenix, and everyone was really excited because they're like, oh, the new Brubaker stuff is here. Apparently, he would send PDFs of the books ahead of time. Yeah. And the whole staff would come, the whole staff would come checking it out. Oh, that's cool. Right. And I just thought that that was so clever. That's but cool. then I also thought, but what if it, what if they don't like it? Well, <laughs> my first thought when, when you when you started talking about that and then I was like, what if they don't like it? But I think that still becomes a, would become a good thing because you're still putting yourself like in their minds. So even if they look at it and they go, well, this isn't great. You keep throwing stuff at them eventually i would assume eventually they're going to be like well this is going to be a like a finished book like and they're well, still start guys to like doing something more, more you know yeah like, they may want to do the launch at their store or whatever okay steven you've convinced me i'll do it if you do it i'll do it then okay okay so we'll both send uh this week this we'll, week this week we'll both send pdfs right of our comics in process yeah to our local comic stores okay and just say hey shout out this is what we're doing. We love our local comic store. And maybe, dear listeners, if you're also working on comics, you should do the same thing. Yeah. Right? And let us know if you're doing that. Yeah. We're pioneering a new marketing medium for comics. Right? Yeah. I mean, we do love our local comic store. Yeah. It's not very local for me, but it's, it's I love it. Ga Galaxy Comics. Galaxy? Yeah. yeah Galaxy is yeah. a good, good yeah. shop. It's a good mm -hmm. shop. We've got Comic Factory right close by here and Red River Books also right close by here. And they both have comic accounts. And then... Uh, Book Fair on Portage. Book Fair on Portage. Mm -hmm. And then Mighty Comics. I hit up Mighty Comics mm -hmm. a fair amount too. Mm -hmm. And uh, where else? What are we missing? Is Bookshelf still a thing? Bookshelf used it to be is on a thing. Portage. I yeah. know it moved to St. Mary's, but it, I don't think it's there anymore, is it? Yeah, no, they still exist. And you should definitely support Bookshelf. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Cause that, I'll have to find it because that that was the one I used to go to like when I was younger. Bookshelf um, gets was on Portage gets credit for introducing me to the work of Paul Pope. Really, which in my early formative comic book days was like exactly the thing I needed Paul Pope to was find. Year one hundred, right? He did year one. Yeah, he yeah. did one. One hundred percent, and they did Batman Year One Hundred. and uh battling boy most recently but it was his thb his stories from mars that really got me because they were diy books and they were breaking all kinds of rules in comics his instagram name is comics destroyer or that's his twitter or something (laughs) yeah i love that what steve and i have done outside of you know putting putting the hours in but and like theoretically anyone who wants to make comics can you know write a script and if they have an artist pump out a couple pages it drives. I'm at a point now where I have a, a, a script draft done, and it drives me crazy that Steve is going to be continue to putting to be putting long hours into this book, and I feel like I'm almost twiddling my thumbs. What is our next step going forward? What do we need to look at? So what you're what trying should to regular comic creators do is what's the added value that you can bring to the table? Always, Justin. Were we having design. this conversation? Hmm? We're, we were having this conversation about our next book too. Yeah, because um, you know. There's there's writing and there's artwork, but when it comes to like a 62-page book, I don't know how many hours of writing that is, but I do know how many hours of, of artwork that is, and it's... It's way more. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a ton. So it's a lot. Yeah. So um, one of the things we were talking about, uh, the next project Greg and I are going to work on, um, while I'm concentrating on the art, he was going to get going on kind of what we were just talking about, sending out... Um, versions of the book for review copies, setting up um, book touring, setting up events, setting up... Because we visited about 20 cities as a result of doing our comic shows, so mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to look at the long game and say, okay, for the first time ever, we'll plan way in advance to set up a bunch of signings and a bunch of things in those cities to promote a book that is in development, which is like what, of course, real publishers do all the time. I also right? want to tell you guys... When when I started out, um, I thought you needed to to have some kind of certificate or be something special to do a book signing at a bookstore or a comic book store. That is not the case. I remember you guys saying this. Phone, yeah. just phone and say we've got a comic. We want to come by. We want to do a signing, and they will be thrilled to have you nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. Especially like um, in in Toronto or in bigger cities, like you know, a little more competitive. But especially in in Calgary and and Winnipeg and Places like that, bookstores and comic book stores will be so happy that you guys have a book and you want to come and, and show it off. Pro tip, yeah. typically uh, new comic book day is Wednesday, mm-hmm. which means sorting day is Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So trying to set up to be at a shop on a Tuesday is, is not very polite. Right. They'll often say yes, but it's, they can't give you the attention that mm-hmm. you so richly deserve. Nor can you give them the attention that they deserve because they'll be busy sorting for all of their mm-hmm. customers. So yeah, when you guys are at that point, uh, fire us a line and we will we'll let you know where we've gone and and the best experiences because it was it was so much easier than I had built it up in my mind to be. But I still feel yeah. like there's a, a missing step between where we are and where that point is. Finish the book. We, yeah, we got we just finished the book. Yeah, finish yeah. the book. And you can take if you're worried about your added value is uh, you can promote the heck out of it, right? And you don't have to shout for yourself. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm great, I wrote a book. You can be Stephen's champion, right? You obviously like collaborating with him, (laughs) saying nice things about what he's doing and talking about that process. 
you know, turns you into a, uh, um, into a pleasant fellow rather than yeah. a shameless self-promoter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So and then one, one other question regarding all this, um, at what point do Steve and I look into getting an editor? Do we get an editor? Do we just, do we just do whatever we want to do? I think we both, we both are very cognizant of your first book is probably not your best book, but we want this to be as good as it can possibly be. Do you want substantive edits or do you want grammatical spelling edits? We want whatever is going to make it the best book it can be. Okay, well, a copy edit you can get for a couple hundred bucks from a professional editor. We know, happen to know a few. A substantive edit, I am going to give the unpopular answer and say don't do it on your first one. See, that's what I've been thinking. Suffer. Yeah. I th- Suffer on this one. You're doing everything right. Yeah. Right, you're making pages. You're collaborating. You're communicating. You're asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. Learn on this first one, everything you can. So we'll just finish the book. And, yeah, and and just. I mean, it's it. just sixty-four yeah. pages. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's quick. Yeah. Oh is my that, god! Is that because you think a substantive, like, would a substantive edit to a regular person trying to do something for the first time, if they get a bunch of criticisms back, does that would that derail the whole project most of the time? It can, but also because uh, what I know of the two of you, you're already inquisitive enough to ask, how can we improve it? Yeah, we, we tear right? it down a lot. So you'll yeah. have already torn it down. And so I think if you have a healthy experience of 64 pages working together doing that, mm-hmm. and then you take your next project to a substantive editor, mm-hmm. you have a basis for comparison. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? You know how you work. Mm-hmm then you'll know how I work plus this, what it might mean, mm-hmm. right? It gives you a way to figure out, the, figure out the equation. That's just, you know, but that's, I wouldn't give that same answer to everybody. I give that answer to you guys because of the work I see you doing and the, the attention I see you putting into mm-hmm. it. I think you can probably pull it off without one. That's All right. then we'll pull it comforting. Off. We'll, save, we'll save a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you're listening to this podcast from the future, and you have bought their 64-page book, and you wanted to know what the hell is wrong with it, maybe I'm the reason, <laughs> right? You can put the blame solely on me for telling them they shouldn't have gotten an editor early. Um, but I mean, in your defense, then, we're a couple guys who haven't made comics that are taking advice from a guy who has made comics, so yeah, I think it all kind of washes out. Beware all advice. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. Um, if you are interested in making comics, you have our permission to do so. Mm-hmm.